Hey everyone, it's John Kerwin here and I'm really excited as this is my podcast called Open Minded. This podcast is interviewing inspirational people from all walks of life. You know, I want to give you the real stuff that's happening every day in the minds of these leaders, how they stay well in high pressure roles, how they build resilience in themselves, how they look after their people, and how can you invest in yourself and your people to do mental well-being well. So this is JK and this is Open Minded. So let's go. Well, good afternoon, evening, mid-afternoon, whatever that is. Welcome back to Open Minded. And today for me is pretty special because I have someone that I've been dying to talk to for a few months. And if you keep on listening in, you'll understand why. So my guest today is Tony Fernando. Tony is a psychiatrist, a sleep specialist, and an academic. He has published in local international research journals in sleep medicine and medical compassion. I'm interested to understand exactly what that is, <laughs> and has been awarded multiple teaching awards by medical students in the Faculty of Medicine in Auckland. 2012, he was awarded by President Aquino of the Philippines for his services to sleep medicine and medical education. 2015, he received the Chairs Award by the New Zealand Medical Association, the highest recognition given by the association to any doctor in New Zealand for his work on doctor's well-being. Tony's famous, man. He's like famous around this subject. So he's a regular guest um, expert on TV, radio programs, his work uh, on the science of happiness and the importance of mindfulness has also brought him a considerable uh, public following. So I've sort of, I've, I've, I've given you the intro, <laughs> mate. And um and the nice thing is, before we, we chatted, we're about to talk about a subject that, that I'm really passionate about, and really that is sleep. But before we do that, colourful colorful CV, my man. Some yeah, really I'm cool a, stuff. So I tell me a little a bit about yourself. I have a monkey mind as well, as you can see. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you can't keep it so. And I want to talk about it a little, a little later in the little later in the podcast. But tell me, tell me a little bit about the background. Tell me about you. Uh, it's one of those things I don't like doing a lot, JK. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're like me. You're like me. Don't I talk about yourself, so ask other people. about other things. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you've, you've, given, you've given a good description already on my CV, but for, for me, I'm just a regular bloke um, who have my own dramas, where I, I have my own crazy mind. That's yeah. why I've been interested in... Um, that's why I, me I meditate every day. Um, and that's why I also look into compassion because, you know, as a, as a human being, what made me really interested in medicine and also doing a lot of teaching and also service is because I know that when we're kind and when we do good works to others as well as ourselves, then it actually gives us a lot of meaning. So I just finished my PhD, actually, a, a few weeks ago. I was awarded my PhD. So my PhD at the University of Auckland is on medical compassion. Um, tell, me, tell me, what is medical compassion? I don't understand what that is. Yeah. So there's, um, no one understands it. <laughs> <laughs> actually, um, you know, you, you've been a patient. I've been a patient. And we expect doctors, nurses to be compassionate, okay? But in reality, um, doctors and particularly doctors were actually trained a lot in terms of diagnosing treatment, 
in medicine and in surgery, there's very little training on compassion, very little. It's just assumed that once you're a doctor or once you're in medical school that you learn it by osmosis, but you don't because a lot of doctors don't have it. Yeah, so yeah. my research or our team at the University of Auckland looked at why doctors lose compassion and what are the factors that can lead to enhancing compassion in medicine. Um, so that's, that's the gist of my PhD. But it wow. is, yeah. I've got a personal story that I probably haven't told too many people because it's a bit, still a bit raw, but we lost our first baby. Um, my wife and I shared a topic pregnancy very late. And um, I remember dropping her, this is in Italy, dropped her off at hospital. And then um, we just thought she had food poisoning. And I went back to pick her up, um, thinking I was going to take her home. And I was walking down the corridor and she came out and she looked like she was about to die. She, she was right. And she said to me, I just want to die. And then the doctor said to me like this, he said, uh, you lost your child. Now you're at risk of losing your, your wife you'll need to get out of the way. <laughs> yeah. and I, like, I, I'll never forget that moment in my whole life. Now, yeah. if I saw him again, I'd probably punch him, you know, but I just yeah. about yeah. fainted. Yeah. Now, not his fault, but it's very interesting that you talk that, you know, he was probably in a, in a, in a moment of stress, yeah. you know, um, and he was serious, but he just delivered it the wrong yeah. way, you know? Yeah. And it actually, you mentioned he might be in a moment of stress. And what we found out in our research, one of the key variables that that uh, will push compassion down is when doctors are stressed fatigued not sleeping which is our topic today or anxious so there are doctor factors that lead to lower compassion but there are also other factors that we found out like the environment where, where doctors are working at the team they're working with and one of the biggest killers of compassion is actually the patient oh wow that was probably my fault then, eh? Yeah, <laughs> so probably, me walking down the corridor. <laughs> probably you were scary looking and big, and then he, he got intimidated, um, and then compassion dropped. Yeah. <laughs> That's interesting. Um, and anyone who is uh, keen on seeing uh, Dr. Tony's uh, TED Talk, it's amazing. And I've, and I've watched it a couple of times, and I was watching it this morning just to prepare. And we're really on here to talk about sleep. Now, um, uh, the interesting thing for me about sleep is people link it all the time to, to mental, um, yeah. you know, mental well-being, to depression, to all that sort of stuff. So I want to investigate that. But the interesting thing that I've noticed dealing, um, you know, with Mentimia, we're going out and we're talking to companies, people are just not sleeping, mate. Like yeah. it's not a, it's not a, it's not a, 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 a something that we people say, oh, I can't sleep. Everyone's saying, I can't get to sleep. I wake up during the night. I wake up tired, right? Yeah. And and I was looking at your, you know, at your TED talks and congratulations, mate, it's awesome. But you talked about owls and your larks, and then you talked about the middle people. So yeah. can you just tell us a little bit about? Um, you know, owls, larks, and then the middle people, because it's middle people I'm actually worried about, because I'm sure yeah. larks and owls are uh, possibly something that would be easy to, well, I don't know this because you're the doctor, but easier to understand once you dig deeper. But the middle people seem to be having a whole lot of problems too, right? Yeah, actually, owls and larks suffer a lot in silence, worse than the middle people. Oh, really? Okay, sorry. Yeah. 
to all the owls and larks out there, I'm sorry. See, this is this is JK's ignorance. That's why I got the doctor on here to tell us how it goes. Yeah, yeah, but um, yeah. So we have different types of body clocks. Majority would be what we call the, the I call them the middle people or those in the middle who wake up around six, seven in the morning, go to bed around naturally nine, ten, or eleven p.m. But they're the middle people, and then you have the owls who naturally want to sleep later. That's their body clock. They feel sleepy only after midnight, one, two, three in the morning, wake up middle of the day. A very small proportion are the larks. So they're not very common. People who would feel sleepy at 7 p.m. and naturally wake up at two or three in the morning. But like what you said, it's actually the middle people, even, the, even people in the middle right now are suffering a lot. Um, with, because of lack of sleep or poor quality sleep. And there are all sorts of variables that might be causing that at the moment. Um, and that includes, I mean, the biggest contributor, if you ask me now, which is different probably 10 years ago, would be devices. Devices oh, amen. are, they're, they're toxic, toxic to sleep. Um, so if you're using devices one or two hours, if you're using devices just before bedtime, there's a big chance that quality of sleep will be poor. So, so what you're saying is that an owl, right? Let's just go natural. So you're not trying to go to bed, you're not doing anything. Yeah. You would go to, you'd feel tired around midnight, one o'clock. And two if you didn't three, have an alarm even, clock, you'd wake two up. Or three, yeah. Okay, so, you, so yeah. you do late, but then you wake up naturally, say, 11 or 12 o'clock, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. And a lark would be really tired at seven and then wake up naturally, say, at two or three in the morning. Yes. But majority Can of the you... people are in the middle. Okay. Let's forget about the Middle Earth people like us. Well, I don't know what I am. I'm trying to work that out. But <laughs> I, I, would, I would say I'm more towards being an owl. Yeah. But the question I ask you, can... so is that a medical condition or a condition or a psychological condition or where, where does it sit on the medical yeah. scale? So, so that's a controversial question. So if you ask me, it is not a disorder. It's a genetic variation of the body clock. It becomes a disorder because of society's expectations meaning society operates it currently in a 95 clock, which then disadvantages owls. So owls try to fit in in their 95 society, which is so hard because they force themselves to get up at six or seven in the morning, when in fact they would want to wake up naturally later. So because of the imposition of the middle, then they suffer. But if you let them do their own thing, they don't have a problem. So if you ask me, it's not a disorder, but it's a genetic variation of the body clock. And so all of Argentina are owls. Because <laughs> when you yeah, go over there, they meet for dinner like at 11 p.m. So, so if you're a lark in Argentina, just change yeah. country, yeah? Same that's with Italy. Life's a bit later, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, um, when, when you when you talk about this body clock, can you explain that a wee bit to me? So you're saying it's genetic. You you are wired with 
your personal body clock or do you get it from, is it like the other genetics sort of bit passed down? How does that yeah. work? So um, our body clock or our circadian rhythm, which is an internal body clock, which is in the middle of the brain, um, it's highly genetically determined. It's biologically determined. So it's not really psychological um, in that you're wired to have a certain type. Yep. Um, and it's not that uh, it's not that straightforward. Like you were given this clock, and then that's what you have the rest of your life. Our body clock also changes with time. So the older we get, the earlier we want to sleep, and earlier we naturally wake up. So there's a change. And even people in the middle group who are who are not owls or larks, um, when they become teenagers, from so from the age of thirteen. 14, there's a natural tendency for teenagers or young teens to become owls. And then it starts normalizing again um, later in their 20s, early 30s. Um, so our, our body clock also changes with time and as we age, in addition to our genetic predisposition. So that's why, so let's, let's put the arcs and the and uh, larks and the okay. owls separate. Let's talk about Middle Earth, I'll call yeah. it. So a couple of myths that I'd like to talk to you about. You need eight hours. Otherwise, yeah. it's not good for you. I mean, it's true or false? Um, trolls. Trolls, nice. <laughs> Excellent. Brilliant. So if yeah. I say to you, oh, listen, Dr. Tony, I'm coming to see you, mate, but I only need four hours sleep. I yeah. mean, is that... That's okay. Trolls? Yeah. Really? No, so... So all of us, okay, so let's talk about uh, the research. So an average adult, so the operating word here is average. An average adult will require somewhere around seven, eight hours of sleep. But remember the operating word here is average. Mm. Not everyone's average. <laughs> Don't think you're average. <laughs> So if it's an average, it means that there are people who actually will need more than eight hours. So I, 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 there are people who would, who would require nine, ten hours of sleep. And yeah. when they get that, they're perfect. And then on the other hand, you have what we call short sleepers. You know, we, there, actually a, a paper just came out recently. Actually, not a paper, but a doc, a, uh, it's a media release about a family where there's a short sleeping gene. So there are people who will be fine and will be perfect if they get only five hours of good quality sleep. And you can see it also in their families. And there are certain personalities who when they just get five, six hours of sleep, they're perfect. So this, this whole preoccupation that all of us should get eight hours can actually cause problems. Because if you're a short sleeper and then you're also neurotic and insist that you should have eight hours, if you stay eight hours in bed and you only need six, your sleep starts to fragment and then you start becoming anxious. Why am I not getting eight? I will develop dementia. There's something wrong with me. Um, and then now you create a problem. So what's important is for people to find out what their natural requirement is. And again, most people will require around seven, eight hours of sleep, most adults. 
So how do I, Dr. Tony, how do I, because that, this is really interesting for me because the pressure, when you, when you start not sleeping, yeah. the, the actual internal pressure on you to get to sleep, the more you tell yourself yeah. to get to sleep, you know, all that sort of stuff, waking up tired, which I want to talk yeah. about in a sec. But so how do I actually go about finding out what is best for me? Is there a few, is there a few tips yeah. you can give me to go, right, OJK, yeah. I need you to do these four things so you'll know yeah. that you are a five or six hour sleeper or eight or nine hour sleeper. Yeah. I don't know. So how, how, how do I find that out? Because this status quo where you've got to get eight hours, I mean, you get all this information, yeah. right? I said to someone yesterday, mate, I don't know whether I should just go and eat a whole cow or whether I should just eat the vegetable garden or or, or, or I or I become, you know, whatever whatever the latest fad is. And I'm not criticizing any of those things. Mm -hmm. All I'm saying is all I do is get information. And yeah. sleep is starting to be that. It's becoming a problem in itself. Yeah. So um, there's no hard protocol in this. Um, but a, a, rough, a, rec a rough recommendation I tell people is if you can have about two weeks uh, off, let's say let, let's say you're on vacation or you're on holiday, and in those two weeks you go to bed only when you're sleepy. Sleepy meaning nodding off, eyes are becoming really hard to to keep open, or you're yawning a lot. That's a sign that probably that's when your brain wants to sleep. Okay, so and you have to have a diary, a diary for a week or two. Yeah. Then you go to bed when you're actually nodding off. Not, not, not you're, you're not going to bed just because oh, my mom told me I have to be bed by 10 p.m. No, no. You follow your own body. Okay. And then you also wake up. Uh, when you wake up, you also note that when you naturally wake up in the morning. Okay. So no alarms. No alarms. Just see what the body clock says. And unfortunately, you cannot do this in a short time. Like you can't do this after, just for one night. You, you need to see the trend for a week or two weeks. And also some, some, some basic recommendations, which, which might be hard for people on holiday, is you actually cut back on alcohol use because that can also affect your sleep. And that also means cutting back on device and tablet use. You can watch television during those two weeks, but you have to be far. So those are those little recommendations because alcohol as well as uh, using devices can also affect your body clock. So hopefully in, after a couple of weeks or even a week, you will have an idea. Oh, actually, without work, without alcohol, without stress, my natural tendency is to feel sleepy at 11 and to naturally wake up at six in the morning. So that's a rough way to do it. A lot of people actually know it internally. Um, but the problem, you actually said something earlier, I wanted to jump on it because Good. it causes a lot of problems. Is when people have problems with sleep, let's say one night, two nights, oh, sleep's not that great. And then they add the pressure of, I really need to sleep well now. It's the third night. If I don't sleep, uh, my boss will not like my performance. If I don't perform well, my boss will fire me. So you put pressure on your sleep. Guess what happens to sleep? Disappears. It disappears. Because what you do is in the middle of the night, you're asking your brain to perform something. 
hey, you need to sleep tonight. Of course, your brain says, okay, master, you want me to do something? <laughs> so forcing yourself to sleep is one of the recipes for insomnia. Because you cannot will yourself to sleep. So what do I do? So one approach is, assuming you don't have major problems, all right? One approach is just say, okay, I, I don't have control over sleep, but tonight I'll just relax. Listen to a podcast, read a book. But the last thing you want to do is think about sleep because that then will wake you up. And then there are other techniques you know, later, like if you have, if you have uh if you have a few days, a few weeks of poor quality sleep, assuming it's not depression, assuming it's not alcohol or drugs, assuming it's not a medical problem, one of the best ways to, to deal with poor quality sleep, which is counterintuitive, is to actually go to bed later. Go to bed later just because you're not tired, so you're not yeah. putting so, any pressure on yourself. Go to bed. Just chill out and say, oh, I'll watch as much documentary as I want, but I will not think about sleep, which is easy to say. So you need to occupy yourself. Yeah. Um, why, why is it? Why is it psychologically so strong? Why is it psychologically like such a problem? Because we don't worry about yeah. being awake. <laughs> yeah. But when we don't sleep, there's this psychological oh, pressure on you. Yeah. Um, because there's uh, people know if they don't sleep their quality of life the following day is not as good. People know that. And also, um, there's a lot of science now showing that poor quality sleep uh, on a continuous basis can affect not just someone's mental health, but can affect physical functioning. Yeah. So, and then now, nowadays, there's a lot of research. If you don't sleep, you develop dementia. If you don't sleep, or if you sleep, less than eight hours you develop dementia but if you sleep for more than nine hours you also develop dementia it's like all of this conflict so, and is and any then, of that true well um these are big population studies so big population studies show correlations but not necessarily causations does that make sense yeah totally causation is not correct correlation so we have you're just look, looking at trends. You're looking at It's trends. just actually, yeah, uh, yeah, looking at trends. And I think the sad thing is in the modern society, you know, there'll be, the, that'll come out and we get it pushed to our phones and yeah. it just adds to our worry yeah. list, right? So, yeah. you know, you <laughs> add that with, if you eat too much bread, you're going to get this and add that. Yeah. So if you eat too much meat, you're going to get bowel cancer. And you, yeah. like, there's just a whole list of shit we need to worry about nowadays, right? The, the other thing I wanted to do, and I just want to put a, um, I just want to put this theory um, either to rest or get it verified. So a mate of mine when I was younger was, he was studying to be a doctor, became a doctor. Actually, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have him as my doctor, but anyway, that's another story. Um, he said to me that when you drink alcohol, you might think that you're sleeping well, but your eyelids are actually pissed. So they don't go through that flickering thing, whatever that's called. called and rapid, not true. Eye rapid eye movement. That's the bugger. That's it. Yeah. Is that true or false? Trolls. Trolls again. <laughs> no. <laughs> As you can see, I'm, I'm a classic academic. There's no right or wrong. Okay. Okay. Relative. 
So alcohol is interesting. Um, no question, alcohol is helpful for most people in terms of going to sleep. That's why it's one of the most used chemical for sleep. No question about going to sleep, alcohol can be helpful in the majority of population. However, so now this, that's why that's the true part, the false part in terms of alcohol being good for our sleep, or the, the false part is once you start metabolizing or breaking down alcohol, alcohol now ruins the rest of your night. Your sleep becomes very superficial and poor quality. So, um, so it's a double-edged sword. So it can help people go to sleep, but the quality of sleep is quite poor. So for a lot of my patients with insomnia, when we're trying to identify what are the things that might cause poor quality sleep, alcohol is one of the key things I ask them to cut back on, even just for a month. Now, not for the rest of their life, but during the treatment, for a month or two, we need to bring it down as low as we can. Because that's a variable that causes a lot of sleep problems. So my eyelids aren't pissed. So, so it, was, it was a half-truth then. So the, the, the other thing that, that, um, that I, I, I want to understand, because I get this all the time when I'm doing my mental... So uh, a room of 300 the other day, um, who wakes up tired? Half the room, right? Now, when you work with me, you'll, you'll, you'll go JK data and real data. So you're a doctor, you'll do real data. But mm -hmm. what I sort of talk about is, and this is personal experience, I've got a monkey brain, right? So yeah. my monkey brain, I call my monkey Bob, right? And if I let Bob go, he's all over the place and I won't get to sleep. But I've found that if, if I fall asleep naturally and let Bob just fall asleep, then I wake up not as refreshed. But if I read a book, it's like Bob, it's like my brain goes to sleep first and then I go to sleep and I seem to have rested better. Is, yeah. all, this, is all this information that's going into our brains, you know, because I talk about we have more inputs in one day today than our grandparents had in a lifetime, right? Yeah. So what is this phenomenon of people waking up tired even though they've felt they've had an eight-hour sleep or whatever? Yeah. yeah. So that's, that's also a, a tricky topic because... When you ask people, what do you actually mean by feeling tired when you wake up? Um, sometimes people, a lot of people in our society have this expectation that once you sleep, box of birds and they're energetic. No, it's normal to feel a little tired in the morning and then you need a little bit of a pick up coffee and then sooner or later you boom, you're, you're okay, you're awake. So, so there's this expectation that after you uh, you sleep, but you'll be boom, awake and energetic. I, and interestingly, I've had patients who, who talk about get wake, waking up tired in the morning and they think there's a problem with it. But the longer we talk about it and we normalize it, they realize, well, Tony, it's actually just a matter of my expectation. So, uh -huh. so it's, I'm not saying that everyone who's waking up tired is, is just expecting too much in life, but a fair number, I think, have this expectation. If I sleep, if when I wake up, I should be, wow. No, because there are people who naturally wake up and then feel great or fully, fully alert. So there's a subset of people like that. There's a subset of people who will take probably 
five minutes. And there are some who will take probably 30 minutes, an hour to feel awake. So, so the issue of weight, yeah. So, and it's That's okay. Right. And it's okay. So, uh, I mean, of course, there will be a subset of people who, when they, even after a good sleep, they're tired, probably because they are really tired from other things. Um, life is, life nowadays is very complex. So, so when people say I'm tired, we need to decipher what that means. So I have a patient who says, oh, Tony, I'm so tired. And then I, I ask him, so what do you do during the day? And he does so many things. He's very busy at work. He goes to the gym. He's a big weight lifter. It's like, okay, you're tired, but you're able to do all of these things. Is it because your expectation is that your energy is always high? So sometimes you have to deal with what are you actually expecting? So the concept of tiredness is a tricky one. When people say, oh, when I wake up, I'm tired. I, I, I need to know more data. What do you mean by that? So if, if, you, if you said to me, okay, JK, tomorrow when you wake up, if you feel tired, right, let that, let that feeling just rest until you wake up. How would I know if I'm genuinely tired? What would that look like later on in the day? So for, you know, I'm, first of all, disclaimer, I'm not a fatigue specialist, yeah. um, but um, because there are people who specialize in fatigue, um, I, would, I will be worried if the tiredness actually prevents them from functioning. Like, you know, Tony, I've had so much, co so much coffee already, I still can't function at work. You know, my brain's in a foggy state, my body is quite weak then you know we know something's wrong or if they say tony i've had eight hours of sleep but during the day i'm still yawning a lot i'm nodding off then that's major because that might be sleep apnea um, so when people are nodding off despite having adequate sleep um, there, there might be medical problems causing that and also mental health problems can cause fatigue you know, people with anxiety and depression, sometimes it manifests as just constant tiredness and they know that there's a difference. Yeah. Before, no, I, it was, I was like this now, you know, I, I can't function. But if people are able to function and you ask them, how long has it been like this? They'll say, oh, I've been like this ever. Mm. You know, so it might be just how they are in terms of their alertness in the morning. Yeah, well, my, I, I mean, when I was going through my depression, my tiredness was because I was mentally fighting yeah. this perceived thing in my mind. And, a, and, a, and I talk about a lot, you know, a, a minute felt like an hour, an hour felt like a day and a day felt like a week. And yeah. then I'd get, then I'd get to bed and I'd, you know, I'd be freaking out about sleeping again. So it was the yeah. cycle, this cycle that I had to break. Um, with Mentimere, we do a lot of, we do a lot of work in businesses trying to help the leaders make mental well-being part of their culture and one of the things that a lot of the leaders are coming back to me with because we say firstly you must look after yourself they say you know either i can't get to sleep or wake up tired but the next biggie is oh, i wake up at two o'clock in the morning and my mm -hmm. mind's racing yeah. um you know what should i do so yeah. what what do you do when you do wake up at two o'clock in the morning yeah so that's a loaded question as well. <laughs> I'm full of loaded questions today. No, I know you, you don't have straightforward questions. <laughs> um, 
waking up in the middle of the night is very common and normal. Yay! It's, yep, it's common and normal. All right. So this expectation that you should have solid eight hours of sleep is a myth. If you get it, that's fantastic. But if you wake up once, twice at night, as long as they're brief and you go back to sleep relatively easily and you're generally functioning the following day, it's not necessarily a problem. It becomes a problem when you when we when, when a person wakes up in the middle of the night and their mind just goes really busy and anxious thinking about work, then there's something that needs to be done. Or if the middle of the night awakening is triggered by, um, let's say, physical problems like they they can't breathe, they're gasping, they're coughing, or they're having reflux. So that needs to be looked at. And also, I'm not sure if it happened to you when, when, when you had depression, but a lot of people with depression, part of their symptom picture is that they would wake up in the middle of the night. Um, and totally unusual pattern, like they will wake up at two in the morning, just fully awake, thinking it's seven in the morning, and then they just cannot go back to sleep. So what I'm saying is waking up in the middle of the night is not necessarily a problem for most people. And then we create the problem because of our neurosis and expectation that waking up in the middle of the night, there's something wrong with me. Oh my God, what's wrong with me? Come on, go to sleep, go to sleep. The more you won't sleep. But if you wake up in the middle of the night, just because it's normal, my suggestion is you chill, have a cup of tea, not coffee, um, go to the toilet um, and read a book. And sooner or later, you'll go back to sleep. So the most important thing is to not think about it. Having said that, like what I said, there are also other reasons that can cause middle-of-the-night awakening. So let's say I'm, I'm um, running a business, you know, I'm senior leader at a big company, and I wake yeah. up, yeah. and I'm anxious about work and what's going on. Some yeah. people say, journal it, write it down. I mean, is yeah. there two or three things that I can do? Yeah, so... So journaling it can be helpful because you feel like you've done something about it and it can decrease the overthinking part. My main suggestion is going back to the basics is, were you working one or two hours before going to bed? (laughs) Because I've seen it so many times, people say, don't you have this problem with sleep? Waking up in the middle of the night and thinking about work, blah, blah, blah. And they're senior leaders. And then I asked them, all right, so what time did you stop work? No, I, I can't stop work. You know, I'm on my emails, I'm on my laptop, I'm on Zoom sessions overseas. I said, well, that's a problem. We need downtimes. So what I tell some of my patients with this problem is, if you really want to sort it out without using medications, we need to tighten up your habits. So is it okay to stop doing work at 7 p.m., as in no emails, no messages work-related from 7 p.m. onwards. I mean, of course, that's an arbitrary time. And then another one is avoiding devices, gadgets, an hour or two before they go to sleep. And then learning um, calming practices, particularly those with very busy minds. Even 20, 30 minutes before they go to bed, the simplest one, of course, is watching Netflix. 
or reading a book, but I'm a big advocate for people to learn basic meditation practices, even Tai Chi, yoga, just the, the relaxing type before going to bed. Because what you don't want to do before you go to sleep is to think about, oh my God, I'll wake up again to, tonight. Or what's going on at work? And you're setting yourself up for middle of the night awakening, thinking about sleep. So those of that you are listening and not watching this, I've just picked up my phone because I asked this question the other night. What's the last thing you see before you go to sleep? Is it your beautiful partner or your phone? What's the first thing you see when you wake up? Is it your beautiful partner or is it your phone? I and please, phones. please, yeah, and please don't <laughs> tell me that the greatest reading place in the world, which was the toilet, that you are now taking your phone. So I asked those three questions because um, it was happening to me, to be fair. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a lover of reading, you know, and all of a sudden I was, my phone's in my room and, and I'm looking at it when I wake up. And just recently um, I've been back to being way, way better at, you know, like not looking at it for an hour in the morning, yeah. that sort of stuff. So how bad is it actually for our sleep, you know, Kissing your phone goodnight instead of your partner. <laughs> <laughs> so let, let's not talk about the partner issue. That's a, yeah, that's a big topic. But um, phones, I mean, I've, I've done a lot of talks to high school kids. And the way I tell it to them is it's toxic to sleep. And I've we'll experienced sleep. it. It's, it's, it's toxic. It's a poison when it comes to sleep. And I've experienced it myself. Like there was a time, I think last year, you know, I'm not depressed. I'm, there's normal stressors, but for like a few nights, it went on for about a more than a week. Like, it's my sleep was poor, and I was thinking, Tony, you're a sleep specialist. Figure this out. Figure this out. <laughs> <laughs> and I can't figure it out. Like, no, everything's the same. Everything's the same. I'm not depressed. I'm eating the same food. I exercise. I meditate. And then I realized, Tony, the past week, you're on your phone before you go to bed. I was on Facebook, checking emails. Have you heard of the term vortexing? No. You know what a vortex is? Yeah. yeah. So vortexing is you're checking one news channel, you've read it. And then you check on the next one, the next one, and then you go back to the original one as if something has changed in the news in the past 10 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> Called vortexing. I was vortexing from New Zealand news. Like I check a couple of websites here, check a couple of American sites, British news, Asian news, Middle Eastern news. And then I go back to New Zealand. And then yeah. my sleep was so bad for more than a week, then I realized it's the phone. So how long before? How long before sleep should I just be going no? Um, so that's a tricky one. I'm not sure if there are actual studies on this. If what I tell roughly, at least for people who don't have major sleep issues, at least one hour. And the reason for that, okay, just to explain. The reason for that is um, phones, extremely potent light. Okay, and the light signal tells our brain, hey, Tony, it's daytime. So the brain thinks it's daytime. The brain will now, uh, will not release melatonin, which is our evening hormone. 
So melatonin is suppressed, then it's harder to fall asleep. That's one reason. Another reason why phones are problematic is very different. Let's say you're just watching telly where it's very passive. With the phone, we're clicking, we're scrolling. It's highly interactive. Your brain becomes busy. So those are the two reasons why phones can be destructive to sleep. The bright light, as well as the business that it, it wakes up the mind. Um, so for people who don't have major sleep issues, I tell them one hour, but I have patients who, particularly owls, when you give, when, when owls use phones, the effect of the light is much more than an average person. So for owls, I actually tell them three, four hours before bedtime, no more phones, and that they actually dim their house. Because bright light, it's not just the phone, but ambient light, LED lights, they all can shift our body clocks. Here's a, here's a you're now my doctor, right? So, oh yeah, but doctor, I use the phone as my alarm. Yeah. So I think using it, on, using it as an alarm, ideally far from your bed, is okay. But the problem now, what, 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 and I do this as well, all right? So um, the problem that a lot of people now do is when they wake up in the middle of the night, the first thing they do is check their phone. Mm. And then in the morning, your brain is blasted by very powerful light. We did not evolve to be exposed to bright light at that time of the day. So this is all new to the human species. <laughs> You know, we've been around for, you know, so many hundred thousands of years as homo sapiens. Well, I'm not sure now how many homo sapiens. But um, only no, for the last 10 years have we been exposed to super powerful light in the evening. Yeah, so I love, I love the word sleep hygiene, right? Yeah. So if, if I summarize very quickly what you said, an hour before you go to bed, just turn it off. Get it, yep. get it, get it out of your life. And when you wake up, someone said to me the other day, um, I think it might have been you actually when we were talking about this. You know, when you get up in the morning, would you get up and sprint a hundred meters? Yeah. And the answer is no. Well, your brain's no different, right? So you yeah. should let it just just naturally yeah. unfold. Yeah. <laughs> what is naturally unfolding? Looking, just have breakfast. Just you know. So the the, the night the the most well, it's not possible really in Auckland at the moment. But naturally unfolding involves having natural light. Light in the morning is really important also for mental health. So bright light in the morning is actually a prescription, our actual prescription for patients who have sleep issues, um, even for some of my patients with depression. Um, if not natural light, I ask them to get light visors. Uh, so there are people who manufacture them in in Belgium and in Europe, uh, in, in Europe, sorry, Belgium and Australia, because bright light in the morning wakes people up as well as helps with sleep that night and also wakes the brain up, sometimes even better than caffeine. Oh, wow. I might need some of them because I'm a bit of a caffeine freak. But the, yeah. the other question I had for you um, when I went to live in Italy. So I got, I got brought up on, you know, if you're asleep in the afternoon, you're a lazy bugger, don't be yeah. so bloody lazy. Yeah. I get to Italy 
And the first thing they said to me is, right, you know, we're pulling the shutters down and we're having a sleep. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I have taken that right. If I'm tired, I will have a nap. And it can be from from 10 minutes to an hour and a half, depending on time and that sort of stuff. But often I'll just set my alarm and have 10 minutes. Yeah. And I love it. And I feel very, very good. The, yes. A question that comes back to me a lot, though, when I say to people just have a nap. So there's a few questions in this. Um, why do we wake up sometimes groggy and sometimes not? Mm-hmm. Um, and that happens to me. Sometimes I, I wake yeah. up and think, oh, this is fantastic. I feel great. And other times I feel yeah. a bit sluggish. So yeah. what, what's that phenomenon? And um how can workplaces help people have a nap? How can we change that? Yeah. Because I say to a lot of executives, close your door, man, tell your secretary and just have a nap, set the alarm yeah. for 15 minutes. You know, how can we help? And the other thing was the circadian rhythm. So too many questions, but we can go back to the first one. So, and trying circadian, to track. Yeah, so, yeah I'll, 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 <laughs> I've, I've got my notes. So the, these three things in tribute and, and night shift. Yeah. Right? So don't let me forget that. So the first thing, naps, tell me about that. So naps are actually helpful for most people. Um, when you look at our body clock, in terms of, let's look at alertness. Our alertness increases once we wake up, it increases. And then around after lunch, there's a natural decrease in alertness. So our body clock actually tells us to, it actually makes us less alert and wants us to sleep. So having a, uh, uh, having a siesta or a short nap in the afternoon has a biological basis. So the term lazy, I think probably the English term. <laughs> <laughs> well, when I was an All Black in our first yeah. years, they, would, they banned it. Yeah, when in fact, the body wants it. Most people, again, again all of us are different, but most people would actually like to have a little nap. So our body wants it. So having a little nap is not bad. So the only times I will suggest people not to nap is when, they're, when they have insomnia, sometimes napping can ruin their sleep at night. But other than that, if you want to have a nap, 15, 20 minutes, so they've done studies on this, 20 minutes seems to be like the ideal time. But of course, you have to individualize. Napping can be very healthy and very refreshing. So, now, and then you also ask a question. You know, sometimes when you wake up from a nap, you feel refreshed. Sometimes you feel like sluggish. That might have to do with what sleep stage you woke up. So sleep actually has different stages. So it goes from superficial and then middle and then deep sleep. And then we go into REM. That's rapid eye movement. That's when we dream. And then we cycle again. So we're actually cycling throughout the night. Oh. When you wake up from deep sleep, let's say you got woken up, there's an alarm or your partner wakes you up, you'll be like, oh, oh. you're confused, like, where am I? <laughs> because you came, you, you, you came out of deep sleep. But if you woke up at the time when it's already superficial, then it feels, oh, wow, it's okay, I'm awake. So it also depends on the duration of your napping, what time you, what time you woke up uh, out of your sleep phase that can influence how groggy you feel. 
And the other thing, and this is me, so this is JK data again. I say to people, there are no rules. Like if you're tired and you've been working hard, why not have a little sleep? Yeah. So, you know, there are no rules around it, eh? As long as it's not affecting your sleep at night, you're saying. Yeah. So I'm a big uh, believer in napping. In fact, um, you, you, you brought up the issue of uh, napping at work and also night shift. So let's talk about napping at work. If we can normalize napping at work, that it's okay to nap even just 10, 20 minutes or even during tea break, to have napping pods, that's very revolutionary. That's actually very kind to your employees because you know, if you're if you're in a big company, I'm sure you have employees who are sleep deprived, who have crying babies, who had to wake up at five in the morning to get to work on time because Auckland is so expensive nowadays. <laughs> you know, giving them giving them a little bit of time to nap can actually make them more productive and happier and safer when they drive home. So napping should be normalized in the same way you go to the toilet, you have a feed. Napping can be very helpful for the body. And let's say I revolutionize this in a big company. Uh, what would you suggest we do? So set the alarm for 15 minutes or how, how would you say I would, we would train a company to do that? Yep. So um, again, the, I, I'm not familiar with the latest research on that, but the, the latest I know about it is magic number would be around 20 or so minutes but then again that depends on people yeah but you can again we have to individualize all the time but 20 minutes seems to be the helpful number um i'm not sure if telling them all right you have a 20 minute nap now you have to wake up that actually will put pressure <laughs> again all of us are very different um to say all right you're allowed a 20 minute nap now like Chances are you won't nap because you're pressured. What if I, you know, what if I sleep for 21 minutes? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, th that's what I do. Like yeah. if I've got 20 minutes, that's what I do. I set my alarm for 20 yeah. minutes and that actually relaxes me because I know. And then I say to myself, if I sleep, good. If I don't, doesn't matter. I'm just going to yeah. rest. You just relax. Yeah. Yeah. Just relax and rest and sort of, yeah. um, I might do a bit of visualization or I might do a bit of, um breathing and then invariably the alarm goes off and i've slept and i've slept really yeah. really really well tell me about night shift because i think night yeah. shift is is really important I, I work with companies where you know it's, it's pretty tough on people you know yeah and, and how you get you know what you would call an untraditional um life because some people do two weeks on and two weeks yeah. off and they've got to keep changing this rhythm yeah. so night shift uh I have a strong perspective on night shift. Night shift should not be spelled with an F in the middle. <laughs> so I don't know if you got that, but uh, because it's it's really shit yeah. for most people. It's, it goes against most people's biology unless you're an owl. Uh. Majority of people will not do well on night shifts because it's going against our, our biology. We're not designed or we did not evolve, most of us, to be awake at night. Having said that, it's a necessary evil. 
you know, uh, we need to have policemen, we need to have nurses and doctors. Interestingly, there are protocols to help people sleep better at night. Uh, so, sorry, P there are protocols to help shift workers, to help them become more alert and also uh, alert at night, but also sleep well the following day. So we manipulate a few variables. So one variable, so uh, one, one variable we, we play around with is light exposure. Remember, light from the phones wake us up. So for night shift workers, what can help is they will have periods where they're exposed to bright lights. So I, I think I mentioned to you, we have light visors, we use light boxes. So having periods where every hour or so they, they're, they're exposed to very bright light. So you can have visors like that that can keep them quite alert instead of nodding off during the night shift. Also having protocols like uh, recommended sleep before, let's say before your shift, you will have a short sleep before your sleep, before your shift, even recommended brief naps if you need to when you're doing shift work. It's, it, seems, it's, it seems like unacceptable, you're doing night shift and you're falling asleep, but actually having a scheduled nap during your night shift can make people more productive. Yeah, yeah. You know, we're, we're, because if you're, if the brain actually wants to sleep, but you're depriving it of sleep because you're doing work, you're on a losing battle. The brain will win. It will shut you down. And then that, that's where people make accidents, uh, cause accidents. Um, some of the biggest accidents, global accidents in the world, are related to fatigue and, and not sleeping. Mm. So, and then during the day after their shift, there are also suggestions to help them sleep better. So that includes um, wearing sunglasses the moment they leave the workplace so that they don't get exposed to the sun because the sun will wake them up when in fact you want them to sleep. Um, using there are certain uh, medications. I mean, in New Zealand, it's a prescription medication. The rest of the world, it's an it's a supplement. Melatonin can be very helpful for shift workers. So during the day, um, after a night shift, they take a small dose of melatonin, they blocked out the light that can now trick their brain to go to sleep because melatonin is normally released at night, but this time you're going to bed in the morning, melatonin will not be released by your brain. But if you use melatonin like a, a, a medication or a supplement, then that can help with shift work. So we have these protocols around, but a lot of companies don't know them or they're published, published protocols on body clocks and shift work. Yeah, but it should be, it should be part of uh, any, any company that has shift work. It should be yes. part of, yeah. of what they do, right? That's really interesting. So um, I could go on for hours and hours and hours, but we're running out of time. I'm really conscious of your time. So at Mentimia, we, we're, we're always looking for the sort of, um, you know, I call it my daily mental health plan, but we have the six pillars of well-being. Yeah. And I'm really, really, really keen. I believe the future is, um, you know, the future of business, the future of workplaces is actually looking after people's well-being and everyone having, you know, a daily mental well-being plan or whatever you want to call it. You know, you spoke about, um meditation sleep we're just talking about you know sleep hygiene so just to finish 
you know, I'd be going pretty well if I didn't use my cell phone an hour before I went to bed and, and, and an hour when I woke up, don't try and work after seven or eight o'clock at night. And if I wake up, don't worry about it, write it down, do whatever you think, right? Um, I can try napping if I feel tired in the afternoon, but the biggest message I'm getting is unless you have really serious issues for the Middle Earth people that we're talking to, it's just relax on it. It's some of the stuff that we're getting, believing or getting pushed at us is not true. So we should just relax. Don't put any pressure on ourselves to sleep, but have good habits. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And also when you wake up in the middle of the night, don't overthink it. <laughs> yeah, just relax. So the six pillars, I want to ask you um, a few of our questions. So what do you do to chill? Um, I'm a meditator. So I do mindfulness meditation every day. Um, I was a Buddhist monk briefly where I realized I can actually meditate for eight hours a day. So now 30 minutes is easy. <laughs> wow. I meditate 30 to 45 minutes every day. I say to people that uh, I've got a monkey brain, I've got an active mind. Yeah. So I, I distract mine to chill. I cook, I read, um, I'm playing the guitar since COVID. Sounds like I'm killing a cat, but I'm playing the guitar. Um, do you, would you, I regard that as my meditation. Yeah. I do do breathing and I live a mindful life, but do you think that's meditation? Yeah, it depends. That's a, that's a big topic to discuss. Meditation is a generic term um, like sports. What's a sport? So meditation, some people do their meditation by music or even listening to beautiful sounds, visualization. The mindfulness of breathing, which is my type of meditation I practice, is what I prefer. But all of us have different ways of chilling. Yeah, I do. I, I actually I actually do. I'm very mindful, too. I'm always yeah. concentrating on my breathing. I'm always reading books on mindfulness. I think yeah. it's, a it's a beautiful way of life, staying in the present. How do you connect? Yeah, so um, my family is mostly in the Philippines and the U.S., so we, we have our own group on Viber. But connecting, for me, connecting is crucial in terms of your family or your partner making sure that you not just connect before you go to sleep, after you go to sleep in the morning, and also a degree of physical touch. I'm, I'm Filipino, so for me, connection is not just saying hi, hello, but ideally you give a hug if you can, and we connect a lot over food. So uh, we're, a very, we're, we're, we're not a very healthy group. <laughs> I, we just eat and eat. Yeah, no, I, lo I love, or oh, so the Italians, so the Italians, yeah. you know, we, we do the same. So what do you do to be creative or hobbies do you have? So we talk at Mentimere about doing stuff that is yeah. growing you and changing. And, and, you know, like I said, I'm doing the guitar at the moment, which is. Yeah, so I haven't been, I used to play the cello a lot. So I, I picked up the cello as an adult. I need to pick it up more again, but. Currently, the things I do regularly would be a lot of them are fitness stuff. So I, so it's it's in the move part of your six pillars. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. But um, what I also do, where I, I mean, this is quite quite weird. But one area where I know I become quite creative is when I'm actually with my patients. Um, I try to be very creative with how we can come up with solutions that work for them. So I don't operate on this is ABC, this is what you do. It has to be fit. And, and, and for me, 
it's a way of being smart and creative and helpful. Another place that I, I do it is I, I teach meditation in prison. In wow. prison. So, um, so I call them the boys. And I have to be very creative on how to make mindfulness meditation interesting and fun for them. And they're yeah. regular. I have my regulars. <laughs> well, I just, I just read a book. Well, I'm still reading it. It's called The Mindful Athlete by George Mumford. Okay. Yeah, and he he's worked a lot with athletes, but he also worked a lot in prisons. Yeah, it's actually the, extremely rewarding. Yeah, and and uh, reciprocal because they, they yeah. learn to live a, a little bit of a better life. So you talked about moves, so you're doing some fitness stuff. What, what's yeah. that at the moment? So I, I, I'm in a swim squad, so I swim at least twice a week. And then I picked up kickboxing again. Um, I do that twice a week and then weights once, twice a week and also picked up boxing two weeks ago. So <laughs> my, wow. my, my worry is uh, I might get a lot of injuries again, but <laughs> if, if I get injuries again, I'll go back to just plain swimming, which, which I do all the time anyway. Beautiful. How do you celebrate? Oh, as I mentioned earlier, I celebrate with, with food. But, <laughs> What's um, your favorite dish? Oh, that's a hard one because it changes all the time. Um, I, uh, it's a Filipino dish, which is uh, disgusting for a lot of Europeans. <laughs> <laughs> I won't nice. mention it. Okay. But, um, no, but I, I celebrate. And there are different ways to celebrate. There's an obvious way of celebrating, but I do a lot of internal celebration. So I'm a big believer in what you call compassion satisfaction, which is reflecting on times or instances that I think I've actually helped people. A lot of us want to help and help other people, but a lot of us do not reflect on the impact that we create. And for me to reflect on a comment that a patient made, let's say patient says, you know, Tony, you've changed my life, hopefully for the better. Um, I will actually write that down. I have little stickies. And I have a sheet of paper. It used to be on my laptop, but my laptop got full of these little notes. I've shifted it to a sheet of paper with all the comments. And I would look on that. And for me, that's a, a daily celebration of the fact that I've actually helped other people. And because that makes me continue to do the job. Um, so I, I, I really know. think that's beautiful, uh, Tony, because and I don't know whether it's it's New Zealand or, but we we I call it congratulations to me. Yeah. And I think we've got this got to be humble in New Zealand, and I do yeah. believe you should be humble externally, but we don't give ourselves enough credit. I think that's a beautiful idea. People, if you're listening, start doing it. Just write stuff down and keep it around you. I call it congratulations to me. Um, yeah. Tony calls it celebrating, but it's so true. You know, if you're giving to others and, you know, another, another, another thing I do is I'm thankful all the time, which is, yeah. which is another good one. So what do you enjoy? What do you enjoy? Self-care, things to look forward to in your day? Um, I'm actually quite a simple man, so I don't look for anything big. I always look forward to eating. <laughs> so I, yeah, it's weird, but Filipinos think like me. We look at our schedule and um, it's based on uh, what are we eating that day? Who are we eating with? Which restaurant? <laughs> so for me, eating is a big thing. Um, being with my partner is a, 
is something I enjoy. I mean, we don't have to do anything big. We can just be watching Netflix and just enjoying the moment. So I'm not someone who goes for something really fantastic. <laughs> so watching some boring documentaries and just, again, for me, it's, it's just being with people who love you and people you love. Doesn't have to be big. You know, it, I agree. And I think that, um, and this is just a, my philosophy, I think that we are being, you know, success is being driven to us every day. And, you know, it's starting to look more and more unachievable because, you know, you look on internet and, you know, success now is a private jet and, a, and you know, and a, and a Maserati or whatever, you know. Yeah. And, and I think success is just actually trying to simplify your life and enjoy yeah. those little things, you know, and the other things, if yeah. you want them, that's fine. But I think to, to enjoy is important. Okay. A quick fire for you. Who do you admire for having great habits and behaviors around well-being? Uh, the people I like are people you guys would not know much about. <laughs> that's but, good. Um, yeah. So there's this, there's this, uh, uh, British, monk but he's quite popular in the, in their small community he's called ajan brahm a j a h n ajan means teacher in thai and his first name is well his buddhist name is brahm b r a h m i'm just writing that down ajan brahm because the reason is he's, he's an incredible meditator extremely compassionate man but also wickedly funny and self-deprecating how do you spell his first name? A D A D. Sorry, A J A H N. Okay. Ajan Brahm. B R A. Like the composer Brahm without an S. But he's crazy. He's a crazy Buddhist monk. Nice. I'm gonna follow. How do I follow him? Oh, he Everywhere. has more than a thousand talks on YouTube. Okay. Um, I'm on to him. Yeah, and and you can email him. He's, but he's, I'm he's on very, to him. Very, what are you reading? What are you reading right now? Well, I'm reading two books right now. I'm re-reading I'm re Sapiens. Um, you know Sapiens by Yaval yeah. Harari? Yeah. yeah. I'm re-reading that. And I'm also reading a, uh, a sleep research book. <laughs> oh, nice. This is what I'm reading. Mindfulness oh. pocketbook. And I've got my little I always... Uh, who wrote that? Um, uh, Gil Hassan. Just a, just just really neat little book for tips, and I'm I'm yeah. I always have a little yeah, highlighter yeah. around. Yeah. So yeah, what podcast do you listen to? Podcasts? If yep. you do, what are you listening to? So right now I'm listening to Joseph Goldstein. He's uh, one of the most prominent meditation teachers in the U.S. He used to be a Buddhist monk as well. So I listen to him a lot, and I listen to another Ajahn, Ajahn Jayasaro. He's also a fascinating fascinating teacher um j-a-y-a-s-a-r-o so I, I told you i i listen and read books that are quite weird <laughs> nice i love it i'm gonna i'm gonna get into some of that for sure um this is probably the wrong question to ask you but what keeps you awake at night <laughs> uh, actually not not worries not problems but i know that if i'm too hyped up before i go to bed for example i give sometimes i give lectures public lectures and I'm actually not an extrovert, so giving a public lecture gives me so much energy and I can't, can't chill. So I know that I'll have a bad night. <laughs> so I just go to bed much later than, than, than normal, just to chill. Because if I'm too hyped up, 
um, my sleep will be broken. What do you think is an open mind? Yeah, so for me, an open mind is a mind that's at peace with whatever's going on, a mind that's present, and a mind that's compassionate. Because when, when we're at peace, when we're compassionate, anything can be presented to us and we'll be okay. When we're under stressed, when we feel we're threatened, when we feel discriminated, when we're fatigued, our mind naturally shuts down and will not be open. Even if we want to think it's open, we're not. Who would you like me to interview next? Ajahn Brahm, if you can get him. Yeah, yeah, I knew that was coming. Yahoo, that's <laughs> awesome. What What would you like to say? What would you like to say um, to the listeners that have actually uh, specifically listened to this podcast for yes. sleep? What would you the messages yeah. you'd give them? My, I think it's it's, it's simple. Um, I think we have to take sleep seriously, but not too seriously. I'm not sure if that makes sense. <laughs> because if you take it yeah. too seriously, you now create another problem, which I which I often deal with in the clinic. So people would have a sleep problem, which is annoying, but they add that their tendency to be perfectionistic and neurotic. They overthink sleep. They read all the sleep news articles coming up, and now you have a bigger problem. So overthinking sleep is actually a scourge in addition to just normal sleep problems. Dr. Tony, that has been absolutely amazing. I think we're probably gonna to have to do another one because you snuck <laughs> that in that you were, you were a Buddhist monk for a little while, which absolutely intrigues me. I'm fascinated with mindfulness. I'm always in search of, of um, peace of mind probably or living, yeah. living life for today. So that was, an amazing Aaron Accorda. I want to thank you for your time. Um, intriguing, interesting. And I'm certainly going to try and change some of the, a, a couple of little habits to see just if I can improve a little bit on, on my sleep. So thank you for your time. It's been awesome. Thanks, JK. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Open Minded. If you like the podcast, make sure to subscribe. This podcast is everywhere you get your podcasts, so make sure you do that. <laughs> I don't need to tell you how, and then you'll get my new episode straight away. And if you can leave a review, tell everyone you know about it, it'd be awesome. If you could help spread the word about the show, thanks. But also, I'd love to get your feedback. You know, I'm new to this, I want to get better, and I want to know what you want to know about mental well-being. So please reach out to us, and thanks, and I'll see you all soon.